Hey everyone, it's me, Jeff. I was thinking the, the discussion that we had with Larry Sharp about happiness, how people really want happiness more than uh, liberty or pretty much anything else, and that getting them to understand that liberty would lead to happiness is the real, the real challenge that we face. It made me think of something at the time, and I couldn't put my finger on what, but as I went back and was reading some books, I remembered that it was a speech that Albaron Herbert had given back in the 1800s. Now, Albaron Herbert, he was one of the first people to call himself a voluntarist. He was born in 1838 and died in 1906. He was a um, a radical individualist. Uh, he believed that the government shouldn't collect any taxes, that it should be funded completely by donations, all kinds of wonderful stuff that he believed. But there was a part of a speech that he gave in 1880, and he was giving this speech to uh, the Vigilance Association for the Defense of Personal Rights in London. And he says some really great things in this speech, and I wanted to read you uh, some excerpts from it just some parts of it, because it's pretty long. Well, maybe too long for me to read the whole thing. But anyway, the part that I really like, because he talks about happiness, like Larry Sharp was, and how each person has to be the judge of their own happiness. Now, he makes several references in here to uh, laws, uh, great primary laws. And now he's not talking about legislation that governments and states pass. He's talking about laws in the same way we would think of the law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics. Scientific laws, laws of reality that govern the interactions between individual humans. So I'm just a little pre preface that when he says law, that's the kind of law that he's talking, not random laws passed by the state. So now, I'm going to start reading this to you. I, I was tempted to do a British accent to make it more more authentic, but I decided not to, not to subject you to that. I'm going to go ahead and start quoting him now. Now, if there be a great primary laws controlling the intercourse of men and regulating their relations with each other, if order prevails in human science as it does in every other science, can we yet speak confidently as to what these laws are? Mr. Herbert Spencer, to whom in this matter we owe largely, has expressed the law which binds men in their relations to each other. We can suppose no other object to be placed before ourselves but happiness, though we may differently interpret the word in a higher or in a lower sense. We are then entitled to pursue happiness in that way in which it can be shown we are most likely to find it. And as each man can be the only judge of his own happiness, it follows that each man must be left free so to exercise his faculties and so to direct his energies as he may think fittest to produce happiness. With one most important limitation, which must always be understood as accompanying the liberty of which I speak. His freedom in this pursuit of happiness must not interfere with the exactly corresponding freedom of others. Neither by force nor by fraud may he restrain the same free use of faculties enjoyed by every other man. This, then, the widest possible liberty, is the great primary law on which all human intercourse must be founded if it is to be happy, peaceful, and progressive. Perfect obedience to it will produce constant advance in our capabilities for happiness, in our feelings of kindliness and goodwill toward each other. 
in our intellectual acquisition. Just as I believe this to be the master principle of good in human affairs, so do I believe that old desire, which is so firmly planted in the breasts of men, the desire to exercise force over each other, to be the master principle of evil. Where liberty is to be bounded by liberty, it is necessary for us to define liberty and to restrain all aggressions upon it. In this one case, force acquires its true sanction, that of being employed in the immediate defense of liberty. But except in this case, physical force has no place or part in civilized life, and represents the anti-progressive power that still exists amongst us. Now let me point out to you that we have not arrived simply at an abstract result, but that this question of liberty as against force will be found to enter into all the great questions of the day. It is the only one real and permanent dividing line between opinions. Whatever party names we may give ourselves, this is the question always waiting for an answer. Do you believe in force and authority, or do you believe in liberty? Hesitations, inconsistencies there may be, men shading off from each side into that third party, which in critical and decisive times has become a proverb of weakness. But the two great masses of the thinking world are ever ranged on the one side or the other, supporters of authority, believers in liberty. What, then, is the creed of liberty? And to what, in accepting it, are we committed? We have seen that there exists a great primary right, that as men are placed here for happiness, we need not dispute as to the meaning of the term, so each man must be held to be the judge of his own happiness. No man or body of men has the right to wrest this judgment away from their fellow men. It is impossible to deny this, for man can have no rights over another man unless he first have rights over himself. He cannot possess the right to direct the happiness of another man unless he possesses rights to direct his own happiness. And if we grant him the latter right, this is at once fatal to the former right. Indeed, to deny this right, or to abridge anything from it, is to reduce the moral world to complete disorder. Deny this right, and you have no foundation left for rights of any kind, for justice, political freedom, or political equality. You have established the reign of force, and whatever gloss of civilization you may place over it, you have brought men once more to the good old plan on which our fathers stood. This I believe to be the plain truth. There is this one strong, simple foundation, or there is nothing. We may accustom our minds to houses of parliament, to majorities in the house, or majorities in the nation. We may talk our political jargon and push forward our party schemes, but this great truth remains unaltered through all our sayings and doings. It is true that here, as elsewhere in nature, we may live in disregard of the law, but here, as elsewhere, there is no escape from the consequences. All the parties and privileges, all the bitter envyings and hostilities which exist amongst us, all the cravings for power, all the painful unrest and blind efforts, all the wild and dangerous remedies, all the clinging to old forms and the want of faith and courage to choose the new, all these will be found in an ultimate analysis to be amongst the consequences, and serious enough they are, of not recognizing and obeying the law on which our intercourse with each other is founded. Granted that a man is to be judge of his own happiness, and to direct his exertions in whatever manner he will, he is entitled to receive the full reward of those exertions, except for the defense of liberty itself, which defense is necessary to ensure the receiving of this full reward. No man or body of men may rightfully step in and intercept any part of that reward. 
We know as a fact that governments, who are the last to recognize rights, are not encumbered with scruples in this matter, and that they do not hesitate to help themselves out of the resources of their subjects, as largely as they consider necessary for the furtherance of any and every kind of object, which they either consider as desired by some influential part of the nation, or which they have personal motives for desiring themselves. But few men will contend that the actions of governments are founded on right, and few men amongst those who look for the foundations of right below existing customs and current expressions will accept the will of a majority as a sanction for taking from a man what he has won by his own exertions. It may be inconvenient, and it is often highly so in politics, to recognize the truth. But there the truth is, that if a man possesses right, I mean primary right, rights belonging to human existence, not created by any majority of his fellow men, neither that majority nor any other majority outside that man can dispossess him of those rights. To do so is to abolish the very word rights from any place in civilized language. To resume the argument, once let this be granted, this right of free action and full enjoyment, and what follows? By it, all those attempts of government to restrain people for their own good are condemned. The man is to be his own judge, and you are not to tell him in what fashion he is to follow his religion, pursue his trade, enjoy his amusements, or in a word live any part of his life. Neither are you to protect him in either body or mind. Protect one man, you must take from the resources of another man. You must abridge the amount which the latter, by his exertions, has earned for himself. It is impossible to protect any one man save by diminishing the result of what the perfect enjoyment of liberty, that is, the free use of his own faculty, has brought to another man. And therefore, without taking into consideration here the weakening and destroying effects of protection upon the person protected, all protection equally, with all restraint, by force of government, must be held as a diminution from perfect liberty. It comes then to this, that except to protect the liberty of one man from the aggression of another man, that is, to repel force and fraud, which latter is force in disguise, you cannot justify the interferences of government in the affairs of the people, however benevolent or philanthropic may be the cloak you throw over them. There may be certain cases which, from their very nature, are not cases to which the law applies, and which require special consideration, such, for example, as the management of property, wisely or unwisely placed in the hands of a government, I at once admit. Into these I need not here enter, but bearing in mind that which Mr. Spencer has pointed out, the imperfection of all human definition, and that at the boundary of every division into which we place existences of any kind, whether physical or mental, there is a point where it is impossible to say on which side of the line the thing in question lies. Remembering that nature has not divided plant or animal, qualities of the mind, or even those ancient opposites, good and bad, into black and white squares like those of a chessboard. But that, however complete and manifest may be their differences today, in virtue of that common root which existed in the ages of long ago, they still melt into each other by gradations too delicate for any point of separation to be fixed. Remembering this, and making such allowance for it as necessary, we may still say, and say truly, that the law knows no exception. You must accept human liberty whole or entire, 
or you must give up all cogency of reasoning by which to defend any part of it. Either it is a right as sacred in one part as in another, an intelligible and demonstrable right, from which political justice and political equality intelligibly and demonstrably descend, or else it only exists in the world as a political luxury, a passing fashion, a convenience for obtaining certain economical advantages, which today is and tomorrow is not. Either you must treat men as self-responsible, as bearing their own burden, and making their own lives as free in thought, word, and action, or you must treat them as so much political matter, which any government that can get into power may protect, restrain, and fashion as it likes. In this case, it all becomes subject matter for experiment, and Tory or communist are alike free to work out their theories upon it, if they can only once count hands enough to transfer the magic possession of power to themselves. It is easy to perceive how long the reign of force has lasted in the world, how withering to conscience and to intellect its influence has been, when we find the great mass of men practically supporting such a creed. Out of belief in force or readiness to use it, and our obedience yielded to are but forms of fetish worship still left amongst us. Written in almost every heart, though unknown to the owner of it, are the words, Force makes right. Those who wish to escape from this baneful superstition, who wish to destroy its altar and cut down its grove, can only do so by taking their stand upon plain, eligible principles, can only do so by recognizing that there are moral laws standing above our human dealing, laws which we cannot depart from, which we cannot recognize at one moment and ignore at the next to suit our party convenience. No detached effort, no rising of a few people against some special wrong personally affects them will ever alter the world's present way of it must be the battle of principle principle of liberty against the principle now how about that i mean the whole speech is very good of course that was just a part of it i really like how much of it is still applicable today and how little politics has changed i just think about the things that have been going on and compared and contrast with the things that he said about people not being true to their principles or even having principles about caring more about party than what's actually going on betraying their principles the second they get into a position of power the second they happen to have the magic of sovereignty dumped in their lap it's really quite astounding and that's part of what caused him to have that a change of heart to reject the state and choose the path of voluntarism. So I hope that inspired you, and I hope that you'll look up some of Alberon Herbert's writings and see what he had to say about the subject. He was very eloquent. His language was a bit antiquated. You probably picked that up. He was writing in the 1800s. You know, what are you going to do? But still very interesting, very interesting read. We've got some of that on our website as well. I'll link to. I hope you all have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Hey, thank you very much for watching this video. If you liked it, please like, share, subscribe, drop a comment. If you'd like, please go over and visit our website and donate to one of our causes. VIA couldn't do anything without the generous support of donors like you.